This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Rebuilding Notre Dame of Paris. Timeless beauty versus tasteless modernism. Notre Dame of Paris is more than a historic site. It is more than a grand cathedral. It is more than the expression of a great culture. Indeed, Notre Dame of Paris is a symbol of Christian culture itself. Since the catastrophic 2019 fire, the process of rebuilding Notre Dame is becoming the focus of a massive dispute. On one side are those who want to see a great cathedral restored to its pre-fire appearance. On the other side are those who want to seize the opportunity to bring Notre Dame into line with the controversial spirit of Vatican II. This is much more than a dispute over aesthetics. The struggle over Notre Dame is a microchasm of the dispute between traditionalists and modernists that runs from the church's highest leaders to the smallest parish. That is the context of today's episodes of the Return to Order moment. We will use four short essays to depict this struggle. The first essay comes from the time before the fire titled, Notre Dame Cathedral, A Jewel Box of Beauty. It describes what could be lost if the modernists have their way. Compared to other cathedrals, Notre Dame stands out. The three doorways have beautiful deep openings, which show how thick the walls are. On the facade and sides of the cathedral, episodes of sacred scripture are illustrated in stone. On the roof we see a spire. It is the famous spire of Notre Dame that offers a backdrop of lightness, grace, and grandeur to the unfinished towers. The spire is magnificent. The cross on the top has an elegance that defies words. It is beyond marvelous. But the cathedral was never completed. The two main towers should have been taller. But the Gothic style died under the accursed breath of the Renaissance and humanism. As a result, the towers are incomplete. A pleasant impression is caused by the contrast between the cathedral's height and width. Notre Dame is slender, tall, much taller than wide. However, its width is sufficient to make the edifice look solid. It is gracious, light, and has an indisputable air of a fortress. It expresses the plentitude of the medieval spirit, hierarchical, sacral, ordered, where everything is turned toward what is higher, where the most grave seriousness blends perfectly with the most delicate refinement and with the most extreme distinction. The most beautiful aspects of the Catholic soul are reflected in every angle of the cathedral. There is something of the glory of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in the triumphal air of Notre Dame. The second essay we present here is one written by Mr. John Horvat shortly after the fire. It tries to answer the question posed by its title, What is the message of the fire at Notre Dame Cathedral? Flames have gutted the famous Cathedral of Notre Dame of Paris. All the world was drowned in sorrow on this fateful spring day. As the images of the collapsing spire spread across the globe, it was hard to believe that this famous building, celebrated for centuries for its liturgy, artistic works, and splendor, is a blackened ruin. It will take decades to rebuild. A worse tragedy awaits if no lessons are learned from the disaster. 
Unfortunately, this might well happen. France is a nation steeped in liberal secularism. Throughout the modern era, the nation has suffered from its refusal to include God in public life. Thus, for such secularists, the fire is a tragic accident that destroyed a city landmark and UNESCO World Heritage Site. Its loss will impact the economy. The damage will be considered a cultural setback. However, they will see no meaning or consequences in the fire outside of the physical fact. If the fire is reduced to an unfortunate event, its lessons will be in vain. This is not an ordinary occurrence. The episode marks the end of a historical epoch. It is a punishment for humanity that has turned its back on God. Its providential message speaks not only to France, but to the world. Indeed, Notre Dame is a building full of symbolism. Every part of the venerable medieval structure has symbolic meaning and purpose that renders the universe intelligible. The fire could not fail to have its own symbolism that reflects the turbulent and irrational times. Notre Dame is the beating heart of France that represents everything of its Catholic identity. So important is the church to the nation that playwright Paul Claudel once wrote that Paris is but a highway leading to Notre Dame. It is easy to see why. The building contained all that is beautiful, poetic, and charming in the medieval French spirit. It symbolized the special alliance of for the French people with God, as witnessed by the many historical events of both glory and shame that have taken place there. Throughout it all, Notre Dame has survived the best and the worst of times. Does the fire signify a rupture of this alliance? For a long time, France has maintained the exteriorities of a nation linked to Christianity. Despite its secular government, France has always been structured around the church. Now, the rational, aesthetic, and cohesive exterior structures that define the French people have come crashing down. Secular, neo-pagan, and multicultural France has abandoned God. Have now God and the Virgin abandoned France? The nation stands so shattered and despoiled of her unity that a major author recently released a best-selling book titled The French Archipelago. It would be wrong to read into the fire an exclusively French target. France is the firstborn daughter of the Church and thus represents all of Christendom. Truly, the whole West has renounced the faith, and the world is now punished by being deprived of this marvelous flower that silently beckoned the nations to return. The Holy Week fire in Paris in some ways symbolizes the church in secular Europe that is experiencing a passion in which she is scourged and unrecognizable. That is why everyone is shocked and sorrowful. Immersed as it is in unhappiness and godlessness, the world has lost a cause of joy. But it is more terrible that there is a foreboding of worse to come. God and the Virgin seem to have left humanity to their own devices. They await its repentance 
and return to order. Many of the disputes arise from the fact that Notre Dame's future is in the hands of two separate bureaucracies. The exterior is under the control of the French government, specifically those officials connected with tourism. The interior and the actual use of the cathedral is managed by the Archdiocese of Paris. Almost from the moment that the fire was extinguished, ridiculous ideas were floated about the form of the restored cathedral. The French government briefly played with some of these ideas, but in the end opted for plans that faithfully preserve the building's traditional appearance. However, the archdiocesan officials operate from a very different basis. Their goal is to modernize the cathedral's interior to reflect the modernist segments within the church. The process is sometimes known as renovation, a process that destroys symbols of the past in order to create a modern ambiance. Mr. Horvat considers that process in his essay, Who Will Save Notre Dame Cathedral from the Renovators? Catholics sighed with relief when state officials gave in to public pressure and decided to rebuild Notre Dame identically as it was before the tragic 2019 fire. The venerable 850-year-old structure is part of the soul of the French nation. Any modernizations are rightly looked upon with suspicion. Ironically, the secular and hostile French government, which controls most church property, saved it from sacrilegious reconstruction models circulating in the media. The uproar is now raging anew, as strange plans for the interior are surfacing. This time, the proposals come from church officials and involve areas not touched by the fire. Reports about the new plans claim the medieval cathedral will be turned into a politically correct Disneyland or a woke theme park. People are praying that the secular state, which must approve any plan, will again step in and save the cathedral's sacred interior from renovating clergy. However, a second miracle seems unlikely. Church officials seem bent on imposing their destructive plans for the sacred building. The outer structure will look authentically medieval, but the inside will be patronizing and kitsch. The Spectator's Harry Mount leaked the plan in an op-ed piece which said, quote, The plans, yet to be rubber-stamped, will turn the cathedral into an experimental showroom, with confessional boxes, altars, and classical sculptures replaced with modern art murals. New sound and light effects will be introduced to create emotional spaces. Theme chapels on a discovery trail with an emphasis on Africa and Asia will pop up, and Bible quotations will be projected onto chapel walls in various languages, including Mandarin. The last chapel on the new trail will have an environmental emphasis, unquote. The accusation that Notre Dame is being changed into a politically correct Disneyland is wrong. There is nothing Disney about the changes. Walt Disney took fake medieval castles and tried to make them look real and marvelous. French church officials are taking an authentic medieval cathedral and transforming it into something that it is not. One is a deliberate attempt to make a castle sublime. The other is a sacrilegious effort to make a venerable cathedral ugly and bizarre. Father Gilles Drouin, 
is overseeing Notre Dame's updated interior design. He denies accusations that he is planning radical transformation. However, the vocabulary he uses to describe the changes is not reassuring. It will be more diverse and accommodating to non-Christians. There will be more welcoming sacred space for visitors. The telltale expressions are a clear indication that something strange is afoot. The complex and beautiful exterior restoration work is progressing with meticulous care and authenticity. Officials hope to have the cathedral ready by the 2014 Summer Olympics to be held in Paris. The efforts were bolstered by nearly $1 billion in donations from around the world, especially the United States. Many wonder if the donors would have been so willing to give if they knew what surprises church officials were planning for the interior. The proposed changes are not cosmetic. They will take away the sacral nature of the Notre Dame Cathedral. Before the fire, there existed an obvious contrast and friction between the hordes of gawking tourists and the solemn, prayerful atmosphere. Now it appears that the cathedral will adapt itself to the tourists and the visitors. It will become a gallery of exhibits and learning experiences and no longer a house of prayer and worship. Thus, the 14 side chapels, already much neglected by the caretaker French state, will become small galleries highlighting historical periods with older items quote-unquote dialoguing with modern art objects. Comfortable benches with special lighting will replace the traditional straw chairs that have long served as pews. Bible verses and other explanations will be projected on the walls in multiple languages, turning the hollowed surfaces into movie screens. Softer overhead lights are being introduced to reduce the marvelous space to an atmosphere of quote-unquote intimacy. Other proposals call for funneling everyone through a large central door instead of side entrances. This would facilitate the experiencing of the cathedral as a, quote, catechumenal path, unquote, through the exhibits and projections. Most of the confessionals now scattered through the nave would be relocated elsewhere. The main altar would remain in place, for now. Everything that attracts the 12 million annual visitors seems to be targeted. Silence, penumbra, solemnity. The plan obviously will not work. It raises an avoidable question about the nature of the renovation. How could they not know what they are doing? Indeed, this is not a chance renovation of amateurs seeking to modernize one of the world's most famous churches without realizing its effect. This is a deliberate, painstaking, and expensive effort conceived by experts. Everything has been thought out. Liberal church officials know very well the tragic consequences of these proposals. Church properties worldwide have been similarly gutted and renovated, self-despoiling churches of all that is hollowed and sublime. 
everywhere it has resulted in the same sterile and childish style that strips structures of their Catholic soul. The attempt to meld the church and the postmodern world always ends in a metaphysical disaster. These changes favor the view of radical ideologues who envision a quote-unquote miserablest, eco-friendly, desacralized church presided over by Pachamama idols. Thus, the problem is much more theological than decorative. The new proposals are based on a different vision of God and the Church that radically clashes with the traditional worship for which Notre Dame was built. The cathedral's interior restoration and decorating must be identical, lest this glorious medieval gem be ravaged again, not by fire, but by ideological design. Notre Dame needs a miracle to save it from church officials. Our Lady saved it the first time. All Catholics must pray and protest that it be saved the second. So far, this episode has looked at big things, a large building with a profound significance, and a struggle that involves two gigantic bureaucracies. Our last essay brings the emphasis back to the individual person's relationship to God. The key figure in this essay is, unsurprisingly, a Frenchman. Paul Claudel was a French diplomat. However, Monsieur Claudel is more likely to be remembered today for the poetry and plays that he wrote during his spare time. During his teenage years, Monsieur Claudel was an atheist. His conversion to Christianity took place within the walls of Notre Dame. Mr. Edwin Benson relayed that story in How Notre Dame Cathedral Converted Paul Claudel. The planned renovation of the interior of the medieval Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, France, will transform the venerable building into what many call a woke modernization. Such a deformation of the sublime shrine to Our Lady must be opposed and protested. Reasons for this opposition are best expressed by those who have received signal graces from Our Lady while visiting the cathedral. Their timeless testimony serves to demonstrate why architecture and design are so very important. Those protesting today must unite their voices with those of the past to defend this most sublime work of art. Thus, it is opportune to present the words of the illustrious French poet Paul Claudel, 1868-1955, whose life was changed while visiting Notre Dame. Most Americans are unfamiliar with Paul Claudel. Relatively few of his poems have been translated into English. Britannica provides this brief description, Poet, playwright, essayist, a towering force in French literature of the first half of the 20th century, whose works derive their lyrical inspiration, their unity and scope, and their prophetic tone from his faith in God. Unquote. In his youth, Monsieur Claudel headed down a path that too many devout Catholic parents have seen their children walk. He discarded the faith and was well on his way to agnosticism. On the evening of Christmas Day, the 18-year-old walked into Notre Dame during Vespers, more out of curiosity and boredom than anything else. In his poem, 
December 25, 1886. He describes the overwhelming experience. After all, you, my lady, made the first move. For I was only one of those standing around in the sullen, inattentive crowd. One element standing around, lost in the center of the trampling, crowded mob. Then Our Lady worked to save Monsieur Claudel from his indifference, using the ambiance of the cathedral as her tool. And the sanctuary in the middle lighted up with gold and linen, and the great carpet with the arrangement of celebrants gold and lace up to the altar. The roar of Israel toward its God from the beginning of time to the end, in the smoke rising up and spreading. Our Lady, the woman church, with cries, large with God, erecting her own Magnificat. And that wretched child I was. Yes, myself, I repeat. What did I do to be so carried away? The final verses of the poem show the mature, even elderly man, reflecting on the most important day of his youth and the approach of death. My lady, all that I have done and all that I have written, you might be willing to consider it as nothing at all, and that I might come before you, blessedly intact and empty, basically stripped of all my insipid literature. Let me pause and collect my thoughts in the expectation of what will not fail to happen in a short time. Like someone to whom something terrible is going to happen. For example, raising his eyes and seeing you and pretending not to be afraid. Entering a church is one of Monsieur Claudel's favorite themes, which he uses in several of his pieces. Consider the beginning of another poem, The Virgin at Noon. It is noon. The church is open. I must go in. Mother of our Lord, I have not come to pray. I have nothing to give and nothing to ask. I am here, my lady, only to look at you. To look at you. To cry out for joy. To know that I am your son and you are there. Gothic architecture is all about lifting hearts to God. It forces the person to look toward heaven. With the possible exception of Chartres, the Prefire Notre Dame is the best example of French Gothic architecture in the world. Many visitors share Monsieur Claudel's inspiration. Few have used words so beautiful to describe it. Such experiences fell out of favor during the reign of the spirit of Vatican II. The forces of aggiornamento eschewed anything that inspired awe. The modernists scrapped the sacrifices of generations by taking figurative, and sometimes literal, sledgehammers to them. The newly renamed worship spaces were designed to make people feel comfortable. Everything revolved around the community and not the Blessed Mother. High altars were reduced to human proportions. 
Murals were obliterated with beige paint. Pews were relocated so that the members of the congregation looked at each other instead of turning east toward God. The beautiful became banal. The awe-inspiring became simply awful. The modernizers would do well to remember another quotation from Monsieur Claudel, quote, For things and for poems, there is but one way of being new, and that is to be true. There is only one way of being young, and that is to be eternal. Unquote. Notre Dame of Paris does not need to be modernized because the church embodies the human relationship with the true and the eternal. The entire church must protest against the restoration and demand that Notre Dame be allowed to retain the beauty that Monsieur Claudel and so many others have found there. The cathedral is the house of Our Lady and should not be taken from her. It must not be turned into a den of cultural thieves. This concludes Rebuild Through Notre Dame of Paris Timeless Beauty versus Tasteless Modernism. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book which spells out our motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.